Hello, my name is Leslie Kane, and I am the host of the Why Not Today podcast. This podcast is to celebrate people who have done or have been courageous and said, why not today? I started this podcast in honor of my father, Patrick Kane, who often said, why not today? I am based in Western Virginia, Planned Community, right out of D.C., Washington, D.C., and thanks for joining us today. So I am excited. I think this is our ninth episode. Wow. I know, and I'm excited to have a friend of mine, Teresa Lemieux, and I'm actually at her house now. She's upstairs. I'm downstairs, um, but we have known each other for gosh, 20 some, 22 years, I think, um, work yeah. together. And she is going to be my guest today. But before we hear from Teresa, I always like to talk about connection. And you never know where you're going to meet someone, where it'll lead and how they'll connect in your life. And um, Teresa and I met through work years ago, or we're both entrepreneurs. Um, but kind of an interesting, fun story today is Facebook actually reached out to me to do a survey about Facebook groups. And so of course, in talking to it, the girl asked me a little about me and what I did. And she was familiar with Mary Kay, which if those of you guys follow the podcast, know that's my real job. Um, and by the end of the conversation, she liked my, she joined my Facebook group. She needs products. Oops, there goes my phone. And so you just never know where those connections are going to come from. You just got to be nice to people and be friendly. Um, so I'm super excited to have Therese on here. And she's going to share her story. And it's kind of a story that I think people need to hear. And I think this is the first time you've shared this story publicly, because who knows where this podcast will go. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little about you, Teresa, and a fun fact that people might not know. Sure. So Leslie is one of my dear, dear friends. And like she said, we met over 20 years ago. I now live in upstate New York. When we met, I was living in Virginia. Um, I have two kids. They're 18 and 16 now, a boy and a girl. Um, they were babies. Well, I was pregnant when Leslie first, uh, when we first met. And you, weren't even, you weren't even married, by the way. I wasn't, you're right. I was a baby. Basically. <laughs> um, I'm married to an amazing man. And I love food. Leslie can attest to that. I love being outside. I love sunshine. Um, and I think one thing, a fun fact about me, and I think it's fun because no one believes me. Mm -hmm. No one believes me that everyone thinks I'm an extrovert. You're not. And the truth is, I am very much an introvert. Yes, you are. I know that for a fact. So, <laughs> That is a fun fact, just because no one, people are always like, no, you're not an introvert. And I'm like, yes, I am. So, yeah. So I'm excited to have you on and talk about your courageous story. But before we go into that, share with everybody, what does courage mean to you? So I love, I love that word courage. And when I think of courage, it makes me think of an affirmation that I've been using for quite a while now, this saying I have, which is I can do hard things. I can do hard things. And, you know, when I think about courage in that I can do hard things, it's like a lot of times it takes courage because what we're trying to do is unknown or we have fear or it's new or there's uncertainty and all those things are hard. And so for me, it means knowing that you can do the hard thing um, and that you're not going to allow those other things to hold you back. 
from whatever it might be. So right. I can do hard things. Courage. Love that. And that's so true. All right. So we're breaking up a little bit. So hopefully our internet will not go out. And you know, it's definitely a God thing. There was somebody else that was lined up to be my guest for this week's episode and she went on vacation and brought home with her souvenir which uh, a lot of people are bringing home these days which was COVID and she thought she'd be okay but she's coughing so much she's like I can't do it so I'm here at Teresa's house for the week in upstate New York and if you know me you know I travel and you never know where um mm -hmm. find me I need that picture that you have she's going places or she is somewhere <laughs> she is somewhere right? <laughs> um and so when I got that email yesterday and Teresa was talking, she's like, I could be on your podcast. And I'm like, okay, what'd you do courageous? And I think part of the story she's going to share is part of your courage, Teresa, but I think sharing your story publicly and sharing it on a podcast for the first time and really, because I didn't even know the full extent of it till we talked last night and Teresa and I are really good friends, but she went through a hard time in life. So she's going to kind of share the story. So share with us what you've done that took courage and why you think other people need to hear the story. You ready? So right, like you said, I think there's two parts of the courage story here. Um, the first one is how I got here, which was I found myself in a situation where on and off for about 10 years, I was on and off heavy duty opioids. And then um, I think it was 2019. And, and why were you? Let's go back. A little bit. Why was I on them? Were oh, you just well, like a drug yeah. addict, or we got to clarify this? Why were you taking pain medicine? Right. So I moved to New York, and my body just decided to break in every way possible. And it was crazy stuff. Like it was a bug bite that turned into cellulitis. It was, you know, um, needing to have carpal tunnel surgery. It was some kind of digestion thing. And then it was carpal tunnel. I mean, it was just bam, 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 bam. And in between, of course, I wouldn't be on medicine and I would go off. And um, there are a couple of times in there that it was pretty long lived. And when I stopped, it was, it was difficult. It was hard. There was a little bit of withdrawal, but what really sent me into, um, my body becoming completely addicted was a surgery that I had. And I think it was in 2019, it was pre-COVID. Um, it was a jaw surgery and the jaw surgery went very bad. And what proceeded was two years of basically just horribleness. And I had eight, eight surgeries over those two years. My jaw was wired shut twice. And over the course of that time, what happens is your body becomes accustomed to whatever level of pain medicine you're receiving. And so to have pain management, you continue to need more and more and more and more. And I found myself in a place that even to this day, like it's hard for me to say, but I know it, I know that I have to admit that I, my body had become addicted to op opioids. And in going through that and going through this process, it's just all the time in my face what an epidemic this is and how bad it is and what our children are facing. And, and I know that my story um, 
that I guess that's the second part was the courage to share my story. And it goes right along with your saying, why not today? You know, I have thought for a while now, I need to use this story. Like this has been really, really, really hard, but there's gotta be good that comes out of it. And so I think this is a big moment of courage for me because I feel this story is needed to be heard. I think there's a lot of people who don't look like they're addicted to drugs, who don't go through daily life looking like they're addicted to drugs and or opioids or whatever that vice might be. But I think especially even more so after COVID, um, the numbers are really high. Yeah, absolutely. And in talking about this last night, we actually, um, somebody had told me, my friend Julia, who was on the podcast before had mentioned, um, I guess it was a series on Hulu that was called Dope Sick. And somebody she knows, and it's actually ironic that it was filmed in Roanoke and a lot of it took place in Southwest Virginia, or actually have some customers and team members, but just talking about, we only watched two episodes last night, but just talking about how we got here and, mm-hmm. and the craziness of the government and we're not going there, but just right. how this drug um, Oxycontin got into the hands of people. And it was actually the drug company. As I said, we've only watched two parts. We don't know what happens, but the drug company actually got FDA approval and a relabeling of this drug to say only 1% of people were addicted, which is so untrue. And they made billions because of it. And, you know, a lot of people have become addicted. And Teresa, you went down a route that, I mean, we're great friends and there was months and months that we didn't talk. Um, I actually came to visit her in the hospital December of 2019. And until a couple of weeks ago, she didn't even know it, that somebody, her mother-in-law said, yeah, Leslie was here and Mm. didn't even remember. So she was just not there. I remember one time coming to visit you and talked about this last night, you were just obsessive about decorating your house and doing these little things and like, because I guess that's what you can control. And you were just not you. So you finally started to get healthy. Yeah. Mend your problem. mouth and stop having surgeries. Um, right. But I think it was a couple times you tried to get off the drugs more than once. Well, yeah. I mean, I did not want to be on them, but clearly my body had become addicted and I felt like I would start to wean off and then I would need another surgery or I'd start to wean off and I had an infection and it was just so, so hard. So yeah, it, it, and then there had to become, there had to come a day. I had to make a decision. Well, first there was an intervention and treatment and then there was a decision. Yeah. And I think that's the thing we talk about here on this podcast is, was it a moment that you said, all right, enough is enough? Or was it an ongoing thing? Or was something that happened in your life that triggered you that you're missing out? Or, I mean, you've got two kids that are teenagers. I mean, I can't imagine how hard that was for them and your husband and your family to live through. Plus you still were running a business somehow. (laughs) Right. Somehow. Exactly. And um, just like you said, there, that moment, right? So the first, the first part, the intervention happened because, you know, I was, I, when you, if you could only see what I was on, it would kill the average person. And the reality, You're not a big person. <laughs> well, yeah, no. And 
I had gotten really, really small down to 99 pounds because of all the surgeries. Um, and I couldn't eat. They kept wearing my mouth shut. But I think the real, my husband knew that this was a breaking point and it needed to get better. And him and my doctor had had conversations, but I think the breaking point for him was when he went to um, CVS to pick up my prescriptions. And, and this chokes me up because it's like so hard to believe, but the pharmacist came to him and said, we're gonna give you Narcan. We're really concerned about the amount of medication your wife is taking. I don't wanna interrupt, but a lot of people might not know what Narcan right. is. So I don't fully understand either. All I know is that when people overdose and they stop breathing, it's like adrenaline and it brings people back. Um, right. So when, when police arrive and there's an overdose, that's what they try. They try to give you Narcan and you can admit, administer, I think it was, I don't even know if it was a nose spray or like, I don't know. I don't want to say, but um, so yeah, that was, that was hard. Yeah. I'm sure it was scary for Darcy to to see that. So I kind of interrupted your story. So were you going somewhere else or I distracted? No, I was just going to say that that's when um, he had the conversation with my doctor and they decided that I was going to go on a medical, um, a medicine assisted treatment, which they give to a lot of, um, which many addicts attempt, um, heroin addicts, um, opioid addicts. And what it does, it's made up of two medicines and it's meant to block the effects of the opioids, you feeling them. So in tricking your body, so there's still a little bit in it so that you don't go into full withdrawal because withdrawal is hell. And so they prescribed that. And the outlook was you will be on this until they like to keep most addicts on it. I did not want to stay on it. And I kept saying, I'm not, I didn't choose to be an addict. I didn't, you know, I didn't want this. So I, I stayed on it for, for a while, but then knew, I knew I just wanted to be off it. I wanted my life back. I wanted to put this behind me. I wanted to be present for my kids and rebuild the relationships in my life. And it just felt like a block to me while I was still on the, the treatment. So what was, I know, so Darcy talked to the doctor. So what yes. was, what were the steps to get you? And this is good knowledge for anybody listening that may be in this situation. Like, what does it require? Or if you have a loved one that is going through this and you're watching them, like right. what were the next steps and how was it? And obviously you're on the other side of it. I think that's such a great question because I think there are a lot of people out there who either struggle with this themselves or have a loved one, a child, a sister, a mother, whatever. Like so many of us are touched by this and just don't know how to help, right? So the medical, um, the medicine um, assisted treatment is available and it actually, um, the, there's been increases in people using the medicine I was on, which was Suboxone. And so the process was the doctor and him deciding, okay, there's not much more we can do. The pain she's having is going to be the pain she's going to probably live with. But opioids do a weird thing. They actually, after a while, your pain just keeps increasing or you feel like your pain's increasing. And the only way you know 
what pain you really have is if you get off the drugs, right? So the doctor um, contacted a, um, a Suboxone Center in Rochester and we got the referral. Dumb, uh, can I ask you a dumb question around that? Sure. Is this insurance covered or like the person that's, I mean, with the show we were watching last night, people were losing everything. And when you're an addict looking for drugs, the money's not there. Luckily you had a business still thrive, but is there other opportunities for people to come down now to get help? Right. So that's a really good point. Point. So a lot of people, you're right, do crazy things to get drugs. Those were all prescriptions for me that were at that point insurance covered. The treatment, um, there was a, a copay for it. And I do think there there's ways that they work with people um, to get them into treatment. However, I did look into, because I knew how difficult it was going to be having had little bouts with it. And I really didn't want my family to have to see it. Um, so I looked into going into a rehab center and it's the, first of all, there's waiting lists. There's, there's, you can't even get into them. And even if you do, it's like $20,000 or more out of pocket. And so that wasn't, it was kind of heartbreaking that that wasn't an option. Um, it probably, they probably would have had tools that would have made it a lot easier. Yeah. All right. So back to your story. So you're working with this clinic. What is right. that? Right. And part of the treatment plan is you must go into counseling, which I think is brilliant, right? Um, that's a good, because you got to be healing all the things. You're going to be physically healing, emotionally healing, all those things. So when I finally decided, I was like, I just don't want to be tied to this little thing that felt like it had so much control over who I felt I was as a person. Um, I picked a date and I just said, that's going to be it. I, I have to stop and it's going to be hard. And we sat the kids down and they're old enough, obviously, um, as teenagers to understand and see what's happening. We explained to them what was going to happen. And then, um, I cleared my calendar. I absolutely cleared my calendar. My husband, I'm, I'm blessed, Leslie, in that I have a husband who works from home. He was completely available. He does a lot around the house. He cooks, he cleans. I really have a heart now for people who struggle with addiction, who don't have support, because I don't know how you get through this without a ton of love and support. And it takes, it takes a long time. It's not an overnight process. Right. So, all right. So share the story just so people know what is involved if you don't mind like you shared with me last night so they had you go off all the drugs yeah so you go, withdrawals. right as soon as you go walk in you gotta you gotta you're in with you have to be in withdrawal when they administer the suboxone which is just it can come in i think pill form or mine was a dissolvable strip that would go under my tongue so when we walk i don't even remember what the place looked like i just remember going in with my hot pink bag of crazy amount of opioids, Valium, Xanax, like all the things, um, and being like afraid to get, to give it to them. But I was already starting withdrawal. I was sweating and shaking and nauseous and throwing up and just freezing cold. It was, I think it was spring and, um, they administer it. And what's crazy is with this treatment, 
they're watching to see your symptoms stop. And within hour, my body stopped that withdrawal process. So the, it is an incredible medicine. And I think for a lot of people, if they have to stay on it for the rest of their lives versus going back to heroin or something, I think, I think it can be an amazing treatment. Just for me, I didn't want to stay on it. Like yeah. I always had the goal to not stay on it. Even yeah. yeah. I know you said even by the time you walked back in the house, it was like you were back. Right. My sister was here. I walked back in. I remember everything coming to life again. Like everything seemed brighter. My sister cried because she was so worried about me. Um, she's like, Oh my gosh, you're back. You are back. And I did feel significantly better. It was unbelievable to me too. Um, the difference between being on all the medicine to just being on that, that treatment, it, it, it was a miracle. It was magic. It was, yeah. So, yeah. So, but your journey wasn't over or your courage wasn't over because you had to get, so you are no longer taking that at all. So what was the process of stopping that completely? So that was another courageous decision and a day that you made a decision, right? You said, why not today? Yeah, that one took a little bit of time to come to because I knew what I was preparing for kind of um and I had been following a a a YouTube video of of a person who had done it so I kind of knew what to expect and he was giving tips and things and so that day came and um took me to the darkest place I've ever been in my life where I I actually did not want to live anymore and I felt this is what happens when people become to that low point, you know, when people choose suicide, I believe, you know, what I was feeling was everybody else would be better off without me. My husband would be better off without me. My kids would be better off without me. I was not being a mom, a wife, a friend, anything. So Luckily, I had, you know, counseling and support around me and people to watch me all the time and not a means to do that. Um, But yeah, the withdrawal process is horrible. You lose, you know, you can't sleep for months, or at least for me, I couldn't sleep for months, which was like torture. Um, Your body shakes, you're like twitching. It's like horrible. You're, you're, you can't eat. and you had you weaned yourself to a teeny tiny bit, and that teeny tiny bit caused that much havoc on your body. Yeah, I was down to the point where I could not take any smaller, like it was like a piece I was just barely taking, but it was enough to keep my my body from going into full withdrawal. So within a few hours, um, well, really for me by that point, it was within 12 hours I started to feel the withdrawal. By day two and three, I thought I was literally going to die. That my body was just not going to be able to do it. But I knew that there's only one way through withdrawal. And yeah, courage and the so you kind of break. Oh, okay. Yeah. We are glad you are here. And grateful that you had the courage and you had the support and you know you just and you live in suburban New York neighborhood perfect little family anybody looking from the outside in would have no idea what was going on 
And I think that goes on a lot in this world. Um, and somebody else we were talking about yesterday that I'm going to share on the podcast at some point too, is somebody else I know that was so addicted to heroin and ended up, um, the only reason she is here today is she was dealing and the cops were watching her and she OD'd and they gave her Narcan. And she went to prison and had her first child in prison. And thank goodness her life turned around and she's doing amazing. So proud of her. But again, from Northern Virginia, a nice family, you just never know. And yours came from, you know, just physical issues that they, one doctor gave you a little bit and another gave you more and they kept giving it to you. And, and from what we were watching last night, and I'm a little naive on this, I'm learning more, but thank goodness. <laughs> um, but you know, the drugs make you want more and you need more. And they were taught, they came up with this thing and they were talking about breakthrough pain, which just yeah. meant medicine was supposed to be time release, which it really wasn't. And you had breakthrough pain and people kept needing more and in the middle of the night and yeah, scary. So how do you feel now after saying why not today? How well, is your life now? I'm sure you're fearful that you don't want to go like, I'm me personally, I'd say I would be afraid of Advil. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's such a great question too. And I think how I feel today is I, I recognize healing is a very, very long process. But um, I think I, you know, the, the courage part was like you said, and it's true, most people... No one knows this story outside of my family. And I had to wait. It's been, it's been nearly a year now. Like, you know, we, I've always learned, like, you don't talk about your stuff till you're through your stuff. Um, so I, I know that I'm through it, but the, the emotional healing continues, the relationship healing continues. And there always is that fear. Like I was saying, I, I had to have a tooth pulled, which was still the result of some you know, just it being damaged through all the, all the work they did. And I was scared to death and they immediately wanted to offer me medicine, you know, opioids. And I, we were clear with the doctor. We said, I will not be taking anything. Like I will take Tylenol. And that is it. I had to go back in because it got, um, <laughs> this never happens to people, but my, when they pulled the tooth, mine didn't seal. And so they were, they had to go in and pack it. And again, it was painful, but I knew what, I kept saying to myself, what would be worse, this pain in this moment or going back down that, that road of hell? And I just said, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I think what fears me the most now, Leslie, is how available this drug is. Like you were saying, how many people have injuries? I think it's something like, it's a very high percentage of people, the people who become addicted to opioids started because of, of a prescription from right. their doctor that it's like 75%, I think, that led then to the opioid addiction. That is scary. And the other thing that scares me is the exposure to our kids. It is everywhere. They've seen the pills. They've been offered the pills. I don't know if every parent out there knows and is talking about it with their kids. Like, really talking about how this could destroy their life. And there are, there are kids or teenagers who even after a couple times, just a couple pills become addicted because your body craves it. Well, the person I was just talking about when I asked her how she got there, she goes, my self-esteem was really low and a cute boy 
paid attention to me and we started doing marijuana and that went down the route. And one of my passions with my Mary Kay business is to help women and girls with self-esteem. And they say a girl's health self-esteem is highest at age or a woman's self-esteem is highest at age 10. So whatever we can do to help yeah. get people, I mean, not just girls, but boys too, but that's the kind of the world I work in, but to help people with that and just give people confidence and support and not judge. And you just never know. And, you know, where you, thank goodness you didn't go, but I actually, a friend of mine, I was sharing your story and I was worried about you. And he said, is she addicted to heroin? Because once you can't get the prescription drugs, right. I don't know who's good or bad that the doctor kept giving them to you, but once you can't, then people get desperate and then do all right. kinds of things. And heroin's the next step to right. help leave that. And what's going on is, and I have a good friend that was died because unfortunately he was doing it and it's laced with fentanyl sometimes. And that kills you really fast. So it's just right. a scary thing. So I'm grateful that you have the courage to share your story. And in the theme of why not today, I know we talked yesterday that, you know, and the recovery process for Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, whatever is one day at a time. And, yeah. you know, so my why not today, it's kind of a twist on it. Like, let's do the good things. But sometimes it's like, why not today stop? Or I know, um, share the story about like day two, day three, like you're not going back. What did right. you tell us yesterday? Um, that as you know, I, I knew that it was going to be a process and I had to get up every single day and just say, okay, I'm going to go one more day, one more day and just keep going, knowing that each day, you know, each day I knew my body was becoming less dependent. And in, you know, forgetting that medicine, but I don't know what else I might've said to you about it. I think so. that was just it, that like, you're like at day three, you're like, I'm never going back to day two. So I'm going to keep right. going. Exactly. The re we reached a really low point where my husband, and this was, I mean, he said, do you think we, you should, you know, just take a little bit and just try to do this, give it longer. And Leslie, that is why not today? Because what is that going to do? Delay the process. And I think a lot of addicts don't, don't recognize that there, no matter when you do this, no matter when you make that decision, it's going to be hell. So how much of your life do you want stolen and robbed and taken from you? How many relationships do you want ruined? How much do you want to lose in your life before you say today? Yeah. And thank goodness you did because your kids are getting older and you know, you didn't want to miss that time with them. So I just applaud you for sharing your story. I know this is not easy and we're going to go celebrate and go out to a nice dinner on the lake when we're finished. Um, yay. But what would you, what encouragement will you give to somebody else to say, why not today and be courageous? In any situation? Yeah. Yeah. I think I go back to, I can do hard things. And tomorrow is never better than today. Today is always best. And the longer we wait, you know, that that can just make make more things, more fear, more discouragement, more all of it. So I think it's tell yourself, get up today and say, I can do hard things. Let that be your courage. Find support around you. Um, and you're you still know. going through counseling. It's not over. 
No, it is absolutely not over. And, you know, I remember even in the beginning going through it, I was too sick to even pray, Leslie. I was too sick to even pray. So what I did was I found a um, a playlist, a healing Christian playlist. And when I was too sick to pray, I would just listen to it. When I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night and I was laying in the bathtub while everybody else was sleeping, wanting to die, I would play it. So, you know, like for addicts, I had to prepare. I had to prepare for the day. And um, so, you know, prepare if you need to, but don't delay, don't put off today. Don't put off today. And one thing you said to me the other day, and this is nothing in relationship to what we're talking about, but it still is applying. I was texting you as I was getting ready to leave. I'm like, this is the part I hate of going out of town is the packing, getting ready. And you're like, just think of the end game. Think of pulling yeah. into the driveway. And so, yeah. you know, when you're doing hard things, you got to think of the end game, like where yeah. are you going to be? Um, so thank you for sharing your story. And I know it's not easy and I hope, and I know it will affect other people's lives and touch other people's lives. And so if you're listening to this as a guest and you know somebody, share it. But I always share because this podcast was started in honor of my father. And I always share a connection to my dad. So Teresa did know my father. And these are the kind, Trace is the kind of friend that every girl needs. We don't have tons of them, but we have those special friends. And so probably my most cherished memory of you, Teresa, was when my dad passed away. And you and your family, your husband and your two kids were here already or coming, well, here to Northern Virginia coming, but you packed up your family and in a moment's notice and came to Northern Virginia and were there for me. And I'll never forget like, okay, what are you gonna wear to a funeral? And I remember you said, I got it. So I actually walked into a store and you and your husband were there and had already been there ahead of me and had all the clothes rock lined up. And I walked in and people were like, oh, you're Leslie, we'll help you. And you were just there for whatever I needed. And I do remember, you know, the support you gave me when I was sad and I didn't wanna work. And I would call and you're like, you don't have to work. That's why you do what you do to be able to have these times. So, you know, it's the relationships and the friendships you have that so glad that I met you so many years ago and we didn't start on the most positive way, but full circle. Um, we did have a full circle moment this, this week when Trace's daughter, Ella was born a preemie. Um, I went to the hospital, was there. I think lots of us were there supporting. I spent lots of days at the hospital and Ella basically fit in my hand. She was that little. And I sat in the backseat yesterday of her driving a car. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did we get here? Mm. So, but how do people find I, you? I just want to say this though. Um, I knew the special relationship you had with your dad. He was very much a part of everything. You're breaking up. Oh, okay. It's going to come back. It's going to come back. Is it coming back? All right. You're breaking up. So you got to, all right, now try again. Okay. So I would say I knew the special, the very special relationship you had with your dad. And I want to say this because not everybody has this. And even then everything about you, what you did, you honored your dad. And I know how proud of you he was and his funeral. I remember it was so inspiring. There were so many people in the stories and just the love. And so um, I'm so glad that you have taken, you've stepped out in courage to do Why Not Today. I love everything about it. I know it's how your dad lived and I know he must be smiling down so incredibly proud of you. Well, thank you. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for everybody listening. 
Um, we, this uh, Why Not Today podcast is on Spotify and iTunes. Um, I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram. I am working on some branding. We will have a website going soon. Um, and kind of fun. We're starting to get some merchandise. So I do have some stuff and promoting. I have Why Not Today cups. Um, I have Why Not Today t-shirts and kind of a fun story. I know we're a little longer, but a fun story about the t-shirt is I posted a picture of one the other day. And my dad's best friend in high school in California, his son and I have connected on Facebook. And I had the picture. I said, does anybody want a Why Not Today t-shirt? And he said, yes, explanation point. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you know the logo? And for those of you listening and not seeing, because we're doing video and audio, but the logo is my dad's logo, which is an eye patch and a handlebar mustache. It's like a little face. We call it Flat Pat, because that was his name was Pat. But um, Michael's like, of course I know that logo. It reminds me of your dad and my dad and your dad sharing stories by the pool of their high school days. So it's kind of fun to see why not today starting to get a movement and just say yeah. why not today because you just never know where that's going to lead you. So Teresa, thank you. We are going to head off to dinner and celebrate. And I'm so proud of you. And again, I hope this touched somebody's heart and made a difference in your life. And if you know somebody that has a story, I'm looking for people to interview. So Thanks and we'll suggest say why not today.